0: Hi everyone and welcome to the forward thinking podcast it's chrissy and charlie here from cs2 today we have special guest asia corbett asia is the head of revenue operations at, at postal.io uh, located in san luis Obispo area of california they're a startup that does uh, automated sending so for gifting and direct mail as well as e-gifts um, asia is joining us to talk about a topic that everyone in ops should care about really uh and that's data governance why it's important (laughs) how to maintain it um how to get your team to really care and then what people are doing wrong so we're going to cover all of that today with um asia well so welcome asia thanks for joining us hi thanks for having me really excited to be here yeah we're excited i i've been looking so forward to this ever since we met you at our opstars uh, workshop last year, been following you on LinkedIn, um, which I highly suggest people follow Asia on LinkedIn. <laughs> she was actually recently named one of the top RevOps pros to follow on LinkedIn by Sales Hacker, which I thought was you know aptly um, appropriate. I think you share a lot there and you have great advice for other RevOps pros at startups. So we're looking forward to getting your insights. And before we get into the the meat of what we're talking about today, we'd love to get a little bit about your background. We love hearing about people's origin story and how they got into ops because it's usually never linear. It's never something they set out to do, but it's where they ended up and Mm -hmm. they're killing it. So yeah, if you could talk about your journey and how you got to being ahead of RevOps today.
1: Yeah, totally. So I, when I graduated college, I fully like had in my mind that I wanted to be a CFO and I wanted to get a finance track and be in finance. And um, I had a finance internship that I, that I started and I was like, okay, I want to be a financial analyst. And so a lot of my like analytical background and skills and data analysis comes from there. Um, And then I sort of segued into operations like just general operations business operations um and the reason I went that route is because there there was a sort of financial component to it and so I'm like okay this is this is good I'll go that way because uh it's it's still finance but as I started getting into it I'm like this is totally different from finance operations is very different but I like (laughs) it because to me it's more exciting there's different things to do every day you get to collaborate with people and solve problems not that you don't do that in finance but um I just found that the work of operations and the day-to-day is different and so I continued down the operations path and I I actually have been doing that for the last four years I guess um I've worked for like really large companies and some smaller companies. And I slowly went from operations to more of like a sales ops sort of role. And then I um, got into Postal and originally was just going to do sales ops. And we saw a need to fill a marketing ops gap. And then a customer success our team is start, starting to grow and we're starting to build out that process and so we're like okay we need to actually have a full operations um uh well i'm one person but team to support all of those gtm functions mm-hmm. and so i went from sales ops very quickly into marketing ops then to rev ops uh, at postal but most of my background has been in operations so I didn't come up through sales or marketing. I came up very much operationally, process-driven, documentation, workflows, a lot of that.
0: Yeah, that's amazing because one of the things that's interesting is um, there is a lot that goes into from like knowing, like having technical skills and knowing the tools. And is that something that you found came natural to you as far as like being able to pick up Salesforce? Did you do any certifications or um, on the tools, uh, also from a marketing automation standpoint, like, was that something that you had to quickly pick up too? And what was that like? Because for some, some folks might be in your, in your, um, your same position, whereas like a marketing ops person has to learn sales ops a lot of the time or vice versa. So what was that like for you? Yeah,
1: I learn pretty quickly, um, and tools, Come, and systems come very naturally to me. So to be honest, it wasn't hard to learn Salesforce. I learned my entire job on Salesforce Trailhead like a <laughs> couple, like, couple of years ago. So I did Trailhead modules. Um, I had a boss who put together a, a trail mix specifically for me at that time for where I was working. Um, and so she picked different modules that she thought is like, okay, if you want to learn system admin, be a system admin in Salesforce. Here's what you need to know, and it was like a month long. That's pretty much all I did, and I shadowed people in meetings. And then after I did the trailhead, uh, the trail mix, she said, "Okay, here's some, here's our queue of requests. Maybe you can do these, these couple." And so I started doing some of the system admin stuff, and the projects and requests got increasingly uh, more complex, and so I started doing system admin stuff like a couple months in um and i wouldn't say uh to get discouraged if you don't learn systems quickly i think you can still do it there's a lot of resources out there there's trailhead there's the communities there's other people and and there's people in your company that you can always learn from Uh, so that's where how i started with the sales ops piece the systems and then marketing automation yeah i had to learn that on the Java as well and so that's um a lot of the systems are kind of once you know one I th- maybe this is my experience it's a little bit easier to learn others so mm-hmm. we use HubSpot as our marketing automation and yeah that's like the underlying data structure is slightly different but they're still the same themes and so I log in and I go into the setup and I start looking at all how everything is configured and then I'll go to up knowledge base and look around there, or I'll ask questions in um like the Slack communities. And then that's how I learn and pick up um other other tools. And that's how I did with the marketing automation.
0: Cool. Yeah. I think also being a a, a startup too, it's a great kind of test yeah. you know, not testing bed, but it's an environment that will kind of push people to really learn mm-hmm. and you have that like flexibility to do that. So I think for someone coming up and wanting that crash course into operations yeah. and systems and tools, startups are a great place to do that.
1: Definitely. You will get thrown in there. And into <laughs> And if you want to be in operations, you'll make it work. And if you decide that at the end of the day, this is not something that you actually want to do, then you can you know, go do something else in the company. That's what's nice about startups is there's there are places to go and there are um, things that you can do if you decide that you don't want to do what you originally thought.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I think we should dive into um, talking about data governance. This was actually something that you came to us saying that you were yeah. so passionate about and wanted to talk about. I've and... never seen
2: someone smile. So happy about data governance.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It sounds boring to a lot of people, but it, it is something I'm passionate about because at the, at the end of the day, and like the core of what it does is it enables your teams to go out there and do what they're best at, which is bringing in the revenue. And they don't, they don't have to worry about, is my data accurate? Is it, um, are my records getting assigned to me correctly? Um, are our systems healthy? They don't have to worry about those things and they can trust that. And then they can do what they're supposed to do, which is you know go close their deals or um, make their calls or run their campaigns for marketing, uh, onboard customers and customer success.
0: Yeah. I mean, kind of what you're saying, you know, data is just supports everything, I think. Um, And it's even becoming like a really important when it comes to enablement, like you said, for your salespeople to actually bring in the revenue. And as a remote team or what everyone's dealing with, I think we're all reliant on what's in the systems instead of what can be talked about like day to day. With yeah. each other, um, so you know, a hundred percent, you know, ops people should really care, and I think this is an important episode to take note of.
2: And I think the important thing that you said there, and it's, it's such a subtle thing, but even just the way you framed it around enabling the team so they can bring in revenue, right? Yeah. Like, that's a really important way to think about everything we're doing in operations because exactly. that's going to help. That's what the business cares about. like if you're exactly. saying I want to do this data project because I want to just normalize this value and the business is like, well, why? Like, why do you even want to do that? But you're talking about it in this context of helping the team bring in revenue and that's going to help you get more resources. It's going to help you get buy-in. Yeah. It's going to help mo- move these projects through and get, get them where they need yeah. to be. So it's a very important, just like subtle way. Just you just explained it there, but I think yeah. some people miss that.
1: Yeah. I think if that's, that's probably how you'll have to frame it in order to start getting the buy-in because like it's, Honestly, it's boring to a lot of people. Process documentation is boring to a lot of people. And so to make it um, relatable, digestible, you have to start like think about how to frame it so that it's like, this is impacting our revenue at the end of the day. That's because it's impacting our teams Mm -hmm. who go bring their revenue and not having a data governance program or framework here is how it is affecting us. And I went through that whole exercise because it was on my roadmap at the beginning of the year and it wasn't prioritized. And I knew I knew it was gonna come back. But um, so sometimes what happens is you start to see the issues and then you can go to the, the team and say, all right, look, here's, here's the first thing that happened. Here's the second thing that happened. Here's the third thing that happened because we don't have this framework in place. I'm gonna do it because that's what the the job of the operations team, the operations person is to put this in place. But here's why I need to spend time on it. Um, Here's why I need a resource. These are either my time, this needs to be prioritized or we need to have a tool or a contractor outsource this to get it in place because it's really important because here's what it impacted. These five things are because we don't have a data governance program.
2: Totally. And I think the, you know, the way that you said that there with um, really framing the issues kind of goes into our next question around like, what are the biggest issues with having crappy data? Like, I mean, there's so much, but like <laughs> if you had to so just much. kind of come up with a few, you know, what, what are some of the biggest issues that you would highlight to the teams to get buy-in yeah. to work on a project like this? Um, so one of
1: the biggest issues, um, especially if you're in revenue operations, because you'll probably manage multiple systems, um, not just Salesforce, not just your marketing automation, not just your support tool or what have you. You'll you'll be responsible for all of those and the connections between all of them. And if your data is not um, consistent or if it's not clean in one system, that impacts all of the other systems. And then it impacts multiple teams because you have marketing working out of marketing automation. You have sales in Salesforce and maybe even like their sales engagement tool um, and then support. And so if you've got, for example, if you have Salesforce HubSpot synced or your other marketing automation synced and you have data in Salesforce that's not standardized and the data types are not mapped correctly, they won't sync to HubSpot. And they won't sync to HubSpot. They won't be in HubSpot. Your marketing team can't do anything with people that you have in Salesforce. And maybe they need to. Maybe they need to run recycled um, lead campaigns. Maybe they need to do customer marketing and they can't because none of that information is getting back. Because it's a little sync error that is (laughs) causing the hundreds of people not to sync into your system.
2: That is, I feel like, i'm glad you started with that one because <laughs> oh my god yeah. just synchronization yeah. between systems is got to be one of the hardest things and i know there's there's tools out there that now yeah like Syncry yes. that are trying to yes. tackle this problem yeah. and it's such a big problem um and it's only is. getting it's only getting worse with the the more tools we have like right. one of the examples yep. that we've been dealing with a lot with clients recently is just opt-in and managing yeah. opt-in across all of the systems that can send yep. emails. Exactly. You know, you're not just sending emails out of your marketing automation platform. is your sales engagement tool, like customer success yep. is sending emails. And everyone needs to know yeah. are these people opted in? Are they opted into exactly. sales? Are they opted into customer communications? Are they opted into marketing? Yep. And you need that data synced and it's yeah. a, a big challenge. And then times that by hundreds of data points that you need to be <laughs> properly syn- synchronized across systems and yeah. and and yeah. if you don't have it, it can cause big compliance issues like you said exactly. like your marketing programs aren't being run properly and it can it's just difficult it's very difficult it, it needs it needs a lot of focus
1: it does it does and I would say um, also don't be discouraged if you don't have budget to get a tool like Syncree or um, any other tools to help with this because you still do need like the, the groundwork the mm-hmm. process yeah. First, And you can do that and like I'm doing it manually right now, but it's worth it to me because then I don't get, hey, what happened with this lead like why didn't it get scored or, and I get a lot of these questions um, over the last quarter because of our, our data (laughs) was not either syncing correctly from HubSpot to Salesforce or Salesforce to HubSpot. Certain things were mapped incorrectly, certain data types were mapped um, incorrectly. I don't know if you know this little Salesforce limitation, if the pick list values in a dropdown are not exactly the same, they will not sync. And that caused some errors for us too. Hundreds, hundreds of people in um, HubSpot didn't get synced to Salesforce. And we're like,
0: hmm. Yeah. Restricted pick happen. lists are are you yes, yes.
2: not do restricted pick lists We, in sales we actually yes. suggest not even
0: using them in general because like yes. they from a sales perspective, like if they're editing it, the pick list is gonna be there anyway. And then yeah. for marketing, it's way better to just monitor it and, and put some mm-hmm. rigor in place yeah. if you're getting that from spread. Otherwise, like, let it, have, that's yeah, let just let the data go in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's more detrimental yeah. for like having a, a very one-off case of having an a off uh, value than having that yeah. restricted pick list.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's so it's so like little, those little things that your um, GTM teams don't think about because they're mm-hmm. like, they're doing their thing. So, um, and they think, okay, I want a pick list because I want to be able to select all of these things and it's related to my opportunity or it's related to the lead or the contact or the account. And then, you know, you can say as as this framework is in place, well, we actually should do this because here's how it'll impact you. And the challenge that I am still like learning how to navigate is communicating these very technical things in a non-technical way, because they don't care. <laughs> like they don't right. really get into the weeds about why
2: a yeah. Salesforce
1: pick list is not going to work. So it's like, how do you, how do you communicate that to them without sounding like you're just putting a bunch of restrictions in place? Like,
2: how, have so you got you any tips that. on that?
1: Honestly, I'm open to tips because <laughs> I I find myself like trying to just. <clears throat> trying to to level and say i understand where you're coming from but here's why we can't do it and if they push i like try to start explaining like do you want to know the technical reasons behind it mm-hmm. i can tell you <laughs> it's probably going to be really boring but i can share it with you <laughs> if you yeah. want and some people do like to know that and but a lot of people don't they don't mm-hmm. care they're like uh their eyes glaze over
2: <laughs> they're like audience, okay like
1: all right Asia sure yeah we can't do this (laughs) um I I'm still learning how to navigate that but uh, if if people push I will go into the technical explanation and then depending on who it is they're like oh yeah that's awesome okay thank you and then some people tune out
2: (laughs) yeah I think that's a, a life a lifelong skill everyone um is working on at all times in all facets of their uh-huh. life just kind of know, yeah. knowing their audience and knowing kind of yeah. like how to communicate with them right and it's knowing yep. this person is a bit more technical maybe I should give them the details or this person just wants to know this is going to work and yeah let, exactly. them, make them feel confident
1: exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah that's that's what I've been doing I mean, still still doing <laughs> <laughs> besides like sync errors and I guess getting data to the right places so that, you know, you can nurture people properly, score them properly. What are some other issues that you've seen um, when it comes to data or as a result of bad data? Do any other ones come to mind that you've seen in the past or that you know others have struggled with? Yeah. So not just the internal
1: uh, integration sync issues, but automation uh, localized in one system. So um, I created a system automation catalog because we don't have that much yet. Still kind of young, so there's not that much tech debt. But a system automation catalog is like all of our workflows and process business process automation in each of the systems we have. So we have Salesforce, of course, we have HubSpot, and we have Outreach has triggers. Mm. So um, not only do those automations update each other, but within the, the one system is like people will ask for... I need an email notification to be sent when an opportunity is closed. One very straightforward, but uh, you might have some workflow already that's updating opportunity fields or a process builder in Salesforce that's updating it. So having, being able to look and see what exists already and how you can tweak or modify what you have rather than creating more automation just because someone asks for something. I think that goes around to the the data quality, data governance framework, because in the beginning, when you're just trying to get stuff done really fast and you want your people to feel like they're being taken care of and and enabled to do their job, you're like, okay, I'll do, I'll create the email alert. And then you go through all of that. And then you find, okay, well, I had a process in Salesforce, in the process builder, I could have added this, step mm-hmm. there um yeah. and then you kids start to accrue tech debt really fast oh yeah when you, you don't you don't need to <laughs> so the system automation catalog um that's that's such a one. I
2: love I love that because a lot of people I think in the kind of startup land they think oh we're we're we're, we're too we're too small we don't have a ton of stuff like we don't need to document yeah. it yet and then yes. by the time they think they need to document it it's too late because it's too much to document and then they have accumulated that debt so uh uh, technical debt so i love love that you're you're getting ahead of it and this is should be anyone listening to this at any stage of size of company if you haven't done it already is so you should because it will help you limit tech debt but especially if you're early on and you you haven't got that tech debt yet like Do the company and yourself a favor and start now. Yeah,
1: (laughs) exactly. And I'll say like, okay, it seems, it it feels overwhelming. And to me, it it felt overwhelming too before I started. I'm like, oh my gosh, where do I start? With How Mm -hmm. do I document all this stuff? Me being one person and having to also take in requests and do all these other things and what's on my roadmap. It didn't take me that much time to put together the automation. What I did is I put it in a Google Sheet. And I put a tab for each system, so I have Salesforce, HubSpot, Outreach, and um, I have a list of all of the workflow rules, like by objects and some like basic trigger criteria, um, and then if it impacts another system or not. And then I have that for each of the three tabs. And it took me like probably uh, I don't know over the week, maybe a couple hours. So you dedicate a little bit of time to it every day, just like block off thirty minutes. That's not a that's not a lot. You like you can make 30 minutes mm-hmm. to do this, and then you have it set up. And then if you need to make changes, you can make changes, and it's easier to make changes than to go and say, "Oh my God, I have all of this automation. Mm-hmm. Where do I start now?" Um, I worked at a a couple companies ago. I our business operations team was basically like the sales ops rev ops team, and that Salesforce org was. 10 years old, tech debt, like I don't even know where to begin.
2: <laughs> Literally,
1: probably hundreds of workflow rules, hundreds. Mm. And the way they were named, so um, you can have field updates on, on an object and they would title it like field update so that you can't look at everything alphabetically so then you're trying to find yeah it's like very little things that you just don't think about until you're actually in in like the weeds mm-hmm. and you're trying to go through and find a workflow rule and everything is called field update and there's hundreds and you have to click through each page oh, and you no. can't, so you can't find so, so i <laughs> to bring it all full circle Having the system automation catalog, you can go through, you can see everything. Maybe you have links to them. I put yeah. links to the workflow rules because you can link workflow rules. Yeah. And then you can click there. And it's. And then when you add one, it's not as much of a lift. Or if you add two or three or you add a couple, you already have your uh, document outline. And mm-hmm. then you can also push back. You can say, we actually have this automation already. Maybe do you need that one? Are you solving for an edge case? Or is it something that you do need to have automation in place for?
0: Yeah, but totally. It's
1: really hard to have that, like, be able to answer that quickly if you don't have it in a view where you can see it um, and share it with people. People probably won't look at it unless you like, okay, here's what we're looking at. But you have it. That's the the that's whole. Well, they're more <laughs> likely
2: to look at that than actually clicking around Salesforce and looking at actual- the actual process builders or flow in there, mm-hmm. right? I yeah they're, they're more likely to look at a google sheet with everything in there
1: yeah so. and i actually would say i wouldn't want people back there because right sometimes well well meaning and well-intentioned people click around and then um, something gets maybe changed. messed up changed <laughs> and then it has some impacts because all of their, how everything is interconnected and you as operations person know that but the end user doesn't know that
0: yeah, one of the things that I love about like that catalog, but also um, some of the uh, kind of I'll call them like tools, but frameworks that like an ops person can maintain. Like you, I know yeah. you're a big fan of of the roadmap, like we are. Yes, and, yeah. And um, those almost to me act like um, armor for for like a mark marking ops or a rev ops person because, yeah. like your catalog, if someone comes to you a request, you can actually. Point to that and be like, okay, we already have this thing doing that. Or this this is how it could impact. And you really have the way to see that. Um, or even see downstream effects. Oh, we want to change this one field. Okay, well, I have all automation types that one field. This is how long it's going to take. And so even like, and then the roadmap like can um also be a shield for your time or getting more time. And and that brings time is is. The thing that is most precious to ops people, and yeah, what yeah. A, is. What a, <laughs> one of the things I to get <laughs> a sense from you is how how would you get like how would you advise some of the people listening today to um, get the like buy-in from their boss or from the cmo to actually put time into this Mm -hmm. um and potentially i know we talked about money and, and you said you know bringing that back to the revenue but also on the time part like how do we get these projects prioritized on our roadmap
1: yeah that's a that's a good question um so the one of the most important things you need is um knowledge or view of the company's overall objectives like if your company is using an OKR framework or even just like this is the goal for next six months Mm -hmm. knowing what those are and then saying okay I have my requests that come in from end users and I have like my roadmap here's all of the like strategic things I think are going to push operations forward does that align with the overall company objectives outside of revenue. And mm-hmm. if it's yes, then you can take your roadmap to your boss, the CMO, whoever, and say, all right, look, here are these projects. Data governance is on there. Um, Here's how it's impacting our company objectives. Here's the alignment. This is a li- directly aligned with these three objectives. We need to spend and invest my either my time or money on a tool. Um, to help get this up and running. And if you're a startup, <clears throat> it can be more challenging because startups are strapped for resources in both time and money. And so you just have to really double down on that alignment. And I think making the case that, because some of sometimes some of the uh, pushback I get is, well, we don't have to do this right now. And mm-hmm. um, I, and I can see where that comes from. Like, okay, we have to focus on this right here, what's in front of us. It can change. And, yes, it can change, and I, it that's fine that it changes. But we should put our framework in place, and we can always go back and adjust it, but we should we should have something like a North Star, I guess, mm-hmm. right? This governance framework, your roadmap, that's the North Star. and then, if you need to change your direction, that's fine, but um, alignment, um, aligning it to objectives, not just revenue, but other, other company objectives. And I think you can make a case to align data governance to almost anything. Yeah. <laughs> just how you frame it and how you word it is probably gonna be, that'll get you there. Mm-hmm. They'll come around.
2: how do you manage the project as well so you mentioned um kind of earlier on in the conversation kind of people maybe messaging you issues they've got obviously you're finding issues as well Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um depending on the how much tech debt has accumulated that could be like a mountain of issues right um but at any at any position or any company probably has more data governance projects than they, they would have time for, if that, even if that was right. the only thing they were working on. So, how yeah. do you kind of pause through that and figure out, okay, I'm going to start with this, I'm going to do this, this quarter, that, this quarter, like specifically for your data? Mm-hmm. And have you found a good way to prioritize that? Um, and then actually um, just kind of like work through those projects.
1: Yeah. So um, when I first started, I was like, oh my gosh, it feels like a behemoth of a project. Where do I start? And um, I started with taking a catalog or taking inventory of our systems in the RevOps tech stack, all of them, including ones that um, maybe the end users don't really use, like segment. It's connected to some of our systems. Um, And so, and then I think about what are the, two or three systems that people use the most our CRM our marketing automation and our sales engagement platform those are like the three the three most used systems those are the ones that have the most data in them essentially and then
0: and those are America. the ones that most impact like the customer too right exactly exactly yeah.
1: so then you're like all right
0: so those are that's where I will start doing
1: my I'll dig in with the three systems. Uh And then thinking about what is it that I want the data governance framework to mean for us and what do I want the components to be? I wanted to have a system automation catalog. I thought that was important. Having a data dictionary, which is another Google sheet because that's what I've got to work with, but it's better than nothing. And so um, I wanted to have, a def um a a place and granted the audience for this would probably mostly be the uh, operations people. But if an end user wants to go look at it because they're curious, or if I need to provide um uh, something for buy-in that it, it's there, the the dictionary. I wanted to have a minimum viable record. Uh, I got this idea from Manny Ortega at oh, Redis yeah. Labs. uh, So this means what information do we need at a minimum before we create a new record in our systems? Because if you get, of course, a lead or contact with just their name and their email address, that's not helpful. Or you you create accounts without employee size or without the industry or without the type and then your sales reps don't know what to do with it. And so then they spend more time trying to go find those pieces of information when really we should just not create them um, in our assistant opportunity and is, is one of those that's listed on the minimum viable record. I have a couple, let's see. I have a couple records that are the most created. And for those, <coughs> excuse me, for those, what are the minimum data points that we need? <clears throat> Who's responsible for updating it or who can? Where is the system of records? So uh, where where does your lead live? And that's the most uh, truthful, the most accurate. Uh, contacts, right? Salesforce is a system of records. So Salesforce needs to update HubSpot with the contact information after we create it. Same for um, cases, for accounts, and opportunities, quotes. Those are like the most used records um what else do I have on here yeah I have the system I have the system I have the source where it came from is it a manual upload is it a a form a lead gen form who's responsible for updating it and then the minimum information required and then um the last thing I had on my list is standardization Hmm. and this is kind of a a two-part one is like standardization and the naming conventions of workflows, of records, um of sequences, templates, all of that stuff with the in- internal stuff. And then there's also the standardization of your data, and you need a tool to do that. So I, that's like a next quarter and the next quarter project when I have budget to, for a tool. But it is it is really important because. When I upload lists um, and I get the list and the state information, for example, is not in the format that we use, then I have to go and standardize it in an Excel sheet. If the company size information is not standardized to what we use, then I have to go in and adjust that as well because otherwise pick list value won't upload. And then I'm spending my time cleaning up this sheet with thousands of rows of data I mean, yes, I'm using um, some formulas and stuff, but it still takes time. Mm-hmm. So there's your like process standardization and then there's your data standardization. Those were the, the like, couple of things that I was thinking I wanted in my framework. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think that the thing I like about what you went through there is um, just the fact that you took the time to really think about it, audit build your framework and come up with what's important. You know, I, I think yeah. with so many, so many more people are moving so fast, they don't just yeah. like stop, take a breath and yeah. audit what they've got. And the fact that you're doing this at the point where, you know, you don't have a ton of automation um, yeah. is, is, is great because you're getting ahead of it now. And now you can just kind of increment it as things get more and more complex as you build and build and build. But still yeah. for people that do have like, like your, a previous, your previous company and many other companies that have a lot yeah. of technical debt, do carve out that time and try and you know, audit what you've got, document what you've got, understand the landscape, understand what you, what you have in all of these systems, how the systems interplay, the data that you have. Yeah. Um, I love the minimal um, viable record um, that you t- yeah. spoke about. I've seen kind of yeah. similar things where um, you could have kind of a data score on records based on like the, how populated they are across all of your important fields. Yeah, yeah, um, I like that too. And, you know, of course, you know, companies that have your enrichment and stuff like that, really making sure that your enrichment tools are getting you to that minimum viable record. Exactly. And, and you've, you're you thinking of the MVR is as yeah. you know, across all of your most used objects. I think a lot of people focus on like the lead maybe mm-hmm. because that's where they're getting some of the data, but you've kept on expanding that out. And right. you like beyond that, right? And that's kind of probably more because you're in, you have that revenue ops responsibility. You're not right. just thinking yeah. about leads; you're thinking about everything. Right, right, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I, I think just the like going through, the having the discipline to go through that, that go through that exercise, and then realize how important it is is like such a valuable mentality to have.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's I get that it's um our time is is very limited and we're very strapped for resources already especially if you're at a startup and especially if you're a team of one so I 100% understand but I still believe it's so important um, to take some time carve out some time for yourself if you have to stretch it out over a couple quarters but to start put it on your roadmap give yourself a start date and an end date so it's it's not like all right, it's on the roadmap and I, I'm gonna get to it. Give yourself um, you know, the dates and then adjust them if you need to, um, based on the priorities and based on other things. But I knew this was gonna come back.
2: <laughs> it's, a, it's a time have... investment, right? And it's gonna it's gonna it pay is. off. It's gonna save it you time is. in the long run.
1: It
0: is. It is. Um, well, I wanted to end with one thing and actually I I have a feeling that this podcast episode everyone is going to love. If you're listening to this and you're loving this, I feel like we're going to need a <laughs> follow up to this yeah. um, to really go into your tools. And knowing that you have potential budget in your next quarter to even invest in some of the tools, I think it would be good to do a follow <laughs> up on that. Um, but the last thing I want to end with is what, if you could like sum it up into kind of the biggest mistake that you think that RevOps or marketing ops people are doing when it comes to data or just not doing in general what would it be
1: i think it's this i think it's not focusing on building out a data governance framework or a data governance program um it and it always always comes back to bite you it it will and so um even if you are an ops ops professional and you do believe in this and value it not doing it is something I've seen or have heard from a lot of people, um, even people who think process and documentation and all of that stuff is really important. It's not on their radar. So putting this at the forefront of um, your RevOps, marketing ops, sales ops, CS ops discipline is really important. And I think um, it's something that I'm going to continue to like preach because... I don't see enough people talking about it. I see a mm-hmm. lot of like, let's build a dashboard or let's let's get mm-hmm. some really cool reporting. Like, what? Give, can I have this report about this? And I'm like, yeah, well, our data is crap, so we can't do that. Not speaking about postal, but like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's you can't you can't get there. You can't build these really awesome, robust dashboards that people are bought into if your data structure is.
2: Well, if your data is wrong, those wonderful reports are also wrong. So this misleading. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly, mm-hmm. it, exactly. And so then your what are your business decisions made based on? Like yeah. incorrect data that also has big impact.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's everybody's
1: livelihood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that yeah. is a that is a great place to end with, um because I think if if you're trying to spearhead this new change and project that is like the one quote you should bring to mm-hmm. to your cc um yeah <laughs> well i just want to say thank you so much asia um for anyone who's looking to um hear more from asia you can find her on linkedin we'll include a link to her profile um and if you enjoy this podcast or if you know anyone who's also about to tackle uh, data governance, feel free to share. And I think we definitely need a follow up for this one. So thank you so much for your time, Asia. Thank you. thank you. Okay, everyone, we'll see you on the next episode of Forward Thinking, have a great one.